Good morning, friends. Um, today's message is titled, Give Them Something to Believe. And this comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 13 through 15. Now, as I was doing some uh, daily Bible study this past week, I came to this uh, set of verses. And as a pastor and as a teacher of the word, the words on the page kind of sounded like a trumpet call to anyone who's been called to preach or teach the word. As I reflected on these particular verses, I asked myself, what must I and all teachers of the word do if our ministry is to stand the test of time? Well, I think Paul gives us three directives in these verses. This is directive number one, preach your convictions. Paul writes in verse 13, it is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. With that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. When Paul says, it is written, he's quoting from Psalm 116, where David recounts his brush with death. When his enemies surrounded him and he feared his own life, David cried out to God and the Lord delivered him. And Paul reads that and said, David faced death and so do I. David spoke up and I will too. Now, David lived 3,000 or so years ago, Paul 2,000 or so years ago. And when I bear witness to my faith, when I speak up for Jesus and declare his name openly, I can say, I have the same faith as David and Paul. What God did for them, he also does for me. In other words, same Lord, same faith, same deliverance. One of my elders once told me that the secret to good preaching and teaching was to give them something to believe. So whenever you share the word, whether as a preacher or a teacher or a parent or whatever, give them something to believe. Don't make the mistake of thinking that sharing is a lecture where you cover all the possible points of view. I'm going to say it again. When the opportunity arises, just give them something to believe. Give people the undiluted word of God. Give them a message from heaven. Now, we can get all that other stuff, all the commentary, all the jokes, all the political insights somewhere else. And frankly, we can get it from people who probably do it better than most pastors and teachers can do. Now, on behalf of people everywhere, I'll just say it once more. Give them something to believe. Now, today, as always, people are dying for lack of the word of God. We must give them something to believe. Tell them the truth about what God has said and to share it with deep conviction from your heart. Tell what God's word says, tell what it means, tell what you believe, and then challenge us to believe it too. Now, note what must come first. We believe and therefore speak. Now, in order to speak with conviction, you must have some convictions. Please don't preach or teach your doubts. People have enough doubts of their own. If you don't believe in the, don't believe the Bible is the word of God, do the right thing and get out of the pulpit. I mean, if down deep you doubt that Jesus is the son of God, do the right thing and get another job. If you don't believe that Jesus is the only way of salvation, maybe you ought to join a liberal denomination. If you're not sure that heaven is real and hell is real, if you're embarrassed by the blood of Jesus, if you think it's wrong to say you must be born again, then step down and let someone who actually believes the Bible take your place. Now, here's directive number two, and that's to remember your resurrection. Verse 14 says, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. Now, why is Paul so bold in his preaching and teaching? Well, his answer in verse 14 may surprise us. He preaches boldly because he knows. Well, we know with certainty that one day he will be raised from the dead to stand in the very presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. But not only that, he knows and we know 
that in that glad day he will stand side by side with the Corinthian believers, as he said, with you. See, for Paul, salvation was a, a, a communal or community experience he shared with all the redeemed people of God. It was as if he was saying, I'm not worried about anything because someday we'll all be raised from the dead and we'll all stand together in the presence of the Lord forever. Now, Paul here is not speaking of heaven in the usual vague sense that we mean the term. He's not thinking of some intermediate state after we die. Now, to be sure, when we die, we go to be with Christ. That's Philippians 1.23. That's a wonderful truth that no one can take from us, but Paul's focus is not on heaven in that sense. He looks forward to a day when we will be raised from the dead as our Lord was raised from the dead, and he gives him enormous, and that gives him enormous encouragement. If this life is all there is, then we need to be cautious and careful in all that we do. But if there is another life beyond this life, and if we know that someday we'll be raised from the dead, then we can risk it all for the sake of the kingdom. Paul is saying, death is all they can do to me. And if they kill me, I won't stay dead forever. And you know something, it's kind of hard to stop a man like that. Unless you imagine this is just wishful thinking, note that Paul ties his future resurrection to Jesus' past resurrection. It all comes down to this. Did Jesus really rise from the dead on the third day? Well, if so, then we know with certainty that when we die, we will not stay dead forever. See, what the Father did for his Son, he will do for those who trust in his Son. So preach and teach and share on, pray on, keep believing, never give up and speak for Jesus. Now, the issue isn't death, it's resurrection. If you know Jesus, you won't stay dead forever. I mean, that's our faith and nothing can shake us from that certainty. Now, here's directive number three. Multiply your thanksgiving. In verse 15, Paul went on to write, All this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Now, Paul's suffering on behalf of the Corinthians results in the gospel being spread to more and more people who then give thanks to God, resulting in an overflow of praise that brings God great glory. And here Greek scholars tell us that the last half of verse 15 is difficult to translate because of the way Paul kind of piled up his words. But the general meaning is crystal clear. It's more and more all the way through. The gospel spreads to more and more people so that more and more people experience more and more of God's grace, which leads to more and more thanksgiving to the Lord, and thus God receives more and more glory. Now, we can make it even simpler. The gospel is preached, grace received. Gospel believed, thanksgiving abounds. God glorified, or maybe simpler yet, gospel, grace, gratitude, glory. What starts on earth with Paul preaching the gospel amid suffering, ends up with multitudes praising God before the throne. The real end of the gospel is not the benefits it brings to men. The real end of the gospel is that it brings great, great glory to God. So we preach and teach and share our convictions. We remember our resurrection. Many believe, thanksgiving erupts, God receives great glory. We believe, therefore we speak. Until next time, see the vision, live the mission, and feel the passion. God bless.